We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, guys? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. It is your first Saturday mailbag edition of the show. Uh, we are going to jump into some listener questions that came from a bunch of different places. Didn't have any come through the OBR's direct message, but uh, Twitter DMs uh, came through a couple there, a couple emails. Not a ton of questions, but we'll answer everything that's arrived and then poke through and see if there's anything that came specifically to me at the OBR's uh, Ask the Insider section as well. So, Go through all of those. The thing that we probably should talk about first, though, is the arrival on the free agency market now of uh, DeAndre Hopkins. A bit of a surprise. There was some serious rumblings he wanted out of Arizona. That was pretty well known, and it was before the draft when a lot of people thought he would get traded when it sort of became announced or formalized that he would have uh, like to have his contract moved, and then the team that traded for him had to take a potentially sign a new deal. There was a pretty heavy... Uh, thing here with with Hopkins in terms of of what you were going to take back so to not see him traded you know I don't know if Arizona had opportunities before the draft to move him and they wanted to be patient and see what they could get but nonetheless it's pretty clear to me now that they they never really had a serious enough offer to entertain actually moving him Uh, you know whether a team was you know serious enough about getting him that they wanted to go out and maybe chase some sort of like Cardinals covering a portion of that salary. I don't know. I really don't. But we get to this point where he's released. I would say, again, a bit of a surprise that maybe you didn't see somebody flip a late pick for him. But I think the urgency from his side of wanting a new contract must have uh, probably deterred a lot of people uh, from looking his direction. So, you know, if you're obviously the question you're asking is, are the Browns interested? And people will kind of link the Browns and largely only are going to link the Browns because of the time Hopkins spent with Deshaun Watson in Houston, which was a really successful time, 2017 to 2019, before Bill O'Brien shipped him off to Arizona. As you recall, shipping him off to Arizona was a pretty hot-button topic, something that set Deshaun off within that franchise. If you go back and look at that, that was a really weird offseason, 2019 to 2020. 
uh, because you know Hopkins was phenomenal with Houston those those three seasons, uh, thirteen hundred seventy eight yards, then sixteen hundred nine yards, eleven touchdowns, thirteen the year before, and then in twenty nineteen thirteen hundred seventy three seven touchdowns. Now the last two years have been a bit of a fall off because the games played right this past year was suspension some sort of foreign substance. I don't know if it was steroids. I'm not sure what the you know what it actually came out to be, but he ends up with 717 yards and three touchdowns last year. Then I think he dealt with some injuries in 2021. He had 42 catches, 572 and eight touchdowns. So you you're dealing with here a guy who's going to be 31. That obviously plays big into it. This isn't a Amari Cooper where you're getting him for his 28 and 29 seasons. 31's pretty old in football years. You're getting a guy clearly on the downside of production. Not only the numbers tell us that, but obviously a desire to use some sort of foreign substance to keep yourself, your body in shape, to keep going. You know, the grades have slipped a little bit, but there's going to be interest, right? The teams that are most logically linked, the Bills, the Chiefs, obviously the Bills trying to get a serious, they like Gabe Davis, but they want to get a serious player on the opposite side of Stephon Diggs for this window of opportunity that they're inside. The Chiefs, a bit of a wide receiver uh, I don't know what they're, you know, they drafted Rasheed Rice, they have Sky Moore, they have some young talent, they obviously have Kadarius Tony. but what are those guys actually, right? They're all relatively early selections, but again, they don't have anything proven there, so there might be a serious interest from Kansas City side to push out and make a deal. He uh, Hopkins went on a podcast recently, talked about you know wanting to play with these five quarterbacks, the other quarterbacks there in that listing, Justin Herbert, I think, of the Chargers, who, you know, they have Mike Williams. They obviously went out and drafted Quentin Johnston. They have, you know, the veteran Keenan Allen. But those guys have had injury issues. You always want more when you have a quarterback like Herbert. And then uh, the other two quarterbacks were Lamar Jackson, Baltimore. Now, again, Baltimore's got Zay Flowers. They've got Odell. They've got Rashad Bateman. They've got a lot of pieces. Do they want to go add another one? They they could. Uh, You know, if they're serious about it, they could. And that's the same for the Browns, right? Like, the last one's the Eagles, who could use a third receiver outside of Devontae Smith and and uh, A.J. Brown. But, like, this is a matter of just how hungry teams are for a third receiver uh, in a lot of these cases. Now, the Bills and Chiefs, that's not a third receiver. That's a more serious need that they want to pursue. So that's why they're the most logical teams. The Browns are connected because of Watson. I'm sure there will be some interest to at least kick it around. I don't envision them signing, largely because of the money that they have committed to the position and what it would take to get them. Now, the Browns have a way. They, like, if they're hungry enough for DeAndre Hopkins, there's a way. They can restructure some deals, Batonio and some others. They can make it happen. They can open the space. We just don't think, I, the OBR, we don't think they're going to actually do that. They're going to lean into the trade with Elijah Moore. They're going to you know, continue to feed DPJ. They obviously are going to continue to try to get as much as they can out of Amari Cooper, David Bell, Cedric Tillman. They've invested. I, I feel like... There is a desire to look forward in that room instead of sort of guys on a downhill slide. But I could be wrong. They could be very into him. Watson could be pushing for him, and they could think it's worth it chasing him on a one-year deal. But also Hopkins is not a guy who wants to be there for a one-year deal. He's also older. If you give him three years, you're talking about a guy playing his 32 and 33 seasons with big contract hits. It's a little spicy. So I don't think the Browns are in the mix for this. Uh, it'll be entertained, it's enticing, but I don't think they're in the mix for him. And that's where a lot of questions were uh, yesterday and a lot of things at the Ask the Insider section of the OBR, and I wanted to kind of address it. Again, Chiefs' bills remain the most logical to me. Uh, you, you, the Cardinals are just an interesting situation right now. They don't get anything back for uh, Hopkins, which is which is pretty brutal considering they are eating like $22.6 million in dead cap, which is, you know, it's not the end of the world for this year because it's, it's just going to be a one-year cap hit. 
They couldn't do the June 1st designation. You know, the Browns use theirs. They're, every team gets two of those. The Brown use, Browns used it on John Johnson. That's coming up soon where they'll open up $9 million, But they couldn't use it because they used that, uh, you know, June 1st designation on J.J. Watt, who retired, and Rodney Hudson, their center, uh, last year's center. So, yeah, they, they can't do that. They're just going to eat the 22.6, but they get out of it this year. So they're not in a competition window. It's pretty clear they're going to be playing for the first overall pick. They have the Texans pick. They're going to get some great picks coming up. They said, let's just eat it this year and move on. But it is tough for any franchise to see a player of Hopkins caliber be released, let go, and not get anything back. That's That's tough. So... Uh, it's always the worst fear, but that's the situation anyway. So, uh, yeah, Hopkins is out there. I think the Browns entertain it, talk about it, but I don't think they end up pushing all too forward into going after him. We're going to take our only break of the podcast. When we take that break, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about listener questions. Fire those things up. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. First question is from S at S underscore was 11 on Twitter. He asks, why can't John Kelly be the Browns third running back? Hey, it's an open competition. As we sit right here, there is no decided position behind Nick Chubb, right? Jerome Ford, leader in the clubhouse for the second running back position. Uh, Demetric Felton, as we noted earlier this week at OTAs, is shifting back to full-time focusing on running back. John Kelly will have every opportunity. He's been here for a while. They know who he is. They might like him more than we think. And as we sit here and know today, there is no... Uh, there is no like there is no answer out there. They like Max Borgie, who they had in from Washington State, running back a few years back, who's been around, floated around different places. They like him. They we'll see what they end up doing. But there is again, as we sit here, there's no signing, so we have to presume that the positions are open. Second and third back, John Kelly, very much in the mix. So wanted to give that one out. Next one comes from uh, Jack McCurry. You know Jack. He's been on the show. I've been on his show. He's great. He said he heard some of the media talking about some defensive guys not showing up for OTAs while learning a new defense. Based on what you've watched of Schwartz scheme, how much different is it schematically between Woods and Schwartz? I don't think it's 
it's not like going from an odd front to an even front and all of that. Now there's some verbiage differences. I think there's going to be some coverage philosophical differences, more man, different things like that. They're going to do some unique things in the front, but I don't think it's all too different. So your 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 question there at the baseline of that is, you know, Miles Garrett isn't there. He's the only guy on defense that isn't there. Offensively, we saw reports Batonio and Joku, Nick Chubb not involved in OTAs. Miles continues to, oddly enough, be the only guy who catches scrutiny for that. He's What he has to do is not hard for him to be learning. Put it that way. I don't think the scheme is going to be going night and day. They're going to change. They're philosophically different. What you're learning, the verbiage, I don't think is going to be crazy different. And the general structure of how the defense looks, even front, some under stuff. Uh, underfront stuff like what they're going to do with their safeties it's not going to be crazy different and they have some leaders such as Rodney McLeod who have been in that system before and who will help I don't think it's going to be something we need to lose sleep over Miles Garrett you know uh, not being there at OTA so if you want to record a segment on that feel free that's just making up issues in my opinion so it's not really uh it's not really worth losing time over uh, next question comes over from Hunter Anthony on Twitter he said, for the weekend mailbag, let's assume the six wide receivers on the roster this year are Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, you know, Elijah Moore, David Bell, Tillman, and, and Goodwin. Do you think they keep seven potentially due to the amount in the room? Also, what do you think of the role of each of uh, those guys? Any true three-down players or specific roles or situations for each of them this year? Uh, yeah, let's kind of peel these back one by one. If they keep a seventh... It's an open, you know, it's open. It's very much open-ended. Could they keep Jakeem Grant because he can return punts and do some different things like that? You know, we saw that Isaiah Weston, the hyper-athletic UDFA of last year, who coming back from ACL, he set up, uh, you know, set himself on the list of the retired, um, you know, list. So he's no longer with the organization. That opens the door. There are a lot of names that could fight for that seventh spot. I don't think they keep seven. But if they did, I think you look at it, that is a great opportunity for Anthony Schwartz to do something of relevance to keep himself around or Jakeem Grant uh, as well. But again, not uh, not not something I think they end up doing, keeping seven. He said, what do you think of the role of each of them? I mean, I think uh, Amari Cooper will play Z this year. I think uh, just like last year, DPJ will play X. Elijah Moore will play a little hybrid inside out. He'll play more slot than Z, but he can play Z. And when they want to schematically move Cooper around, they can do that. Tillman seems like he fights for roles at X or Z. Bell continues to be a primary slot player for them. And then Goodwin can be uh, an outside. He's played X. He's played Z. He can be an outside or slot guy. He had nice slot success. The good thing about most of these guys, other than Tillman, who's really an outside exclusive player, uh, most of them have slot experience. Even DPJ got slot experience so far in the league. So they can do a lot of different things with these guys. Three down players. I mean, Cooper's a three down player. Moore's a three down player. It depends what they want out of the exposition and 13 personnel. If they want a blocker on the field because you're going to be running it more. That's probably Donovan, but they could do whatever they want with that. That could be a, you know, Donovan uh, years ago, his rookie year was the guy who would come out there in 13 personnel because it was a way to give the other wide receivers a break. So perhaps, potentially, you're looking at maybe that's where Tillman's role is. He's the single receiver on the field. That's a package he has to learn for the week if he's coming in playing uh, X specifically in those scenarios. So that's something to keep in mind uh, as well. Question number two, he says, 
uh, thought about this yesterday. When I think of us needing another running back, I think of needing like Jarek McKinnon type of player. His threat out of the backfield is a receiver for cheap yards. Have they not signed another because they want to see Demetrius Felton in that role? That's a question kind of we just answered. Yes, I would think they do want to see if that's a role he can play. Because if he's a natural running back who can catch the football, they've been trying him so much at wide receiver. I think the logical thing here is to shift over and allow him to get a chance to catch the ball out of backfield alignments. I think that's something they should be pursuing, something they should be looking at. Uh, definitely, in my opinion, his way to staying on the roster is through that route. You know, especially if the offense is shifting to more of that shotgun-based Chip Kelly influence stuff that we think they're going to be pursuing, especially with the hiring of Musgrave. That is certainly an area where Felton has a lot of experience, and it makes sense. Okay, next question Mike Edwards asked, and he's got a lot here. He's got three questions, recent pods. Uh, we're going to fire these up one by one. He said, lots of analysts talking enthusiastically about Sh- Jim Schwartz, somewhat different approach to defensive line play, and everyone uses the same buzzwords like Y9, getting off the ball, attacking upfield, D-line friendly scheme, etc. On the surface, that all sounds good to me, but almost too good to a point where I'm asking myself, why wouldn't every defense want to play this way? Does this open us up to be more vulnerable to certain things like screens, delayed handoffs, or scrambling quarterbacks? Are there certain run concepts that can exploit this type of attacking philosophy on the defensive front we should be worried about? Am I excited to watch it play out this season? He said, I am excited to watch it play out this season. Obviously, Schwartz is the pedigree to back up how the scheme works, given the level of production out of his defensive linemen everywhere he's been. But I'd love to hear what the potential drawbacks to the scheme philosophy is, as good as it sounds. Um, they Listen, they played a lot of wide nine stuff last year. Felt like, to me, the biggest issues with how they approached things um, was was sort of how they tied in their safeties to their run fits and how the defensive line communicated. It was all a mess. I don't think they always had the right gap fit integrity happening all the time. You know, you have to do gap and a half stuff, right, and over front to control run stuff. So you have to do gap and then kind of fall back, play gap and a half. If you don't, you get gashed. And I think there was just a lot of miscommunication. I'll put it that way. So it was like it was like Woods was running this tweener philosophy where he wouldn't commit to being sort of one way or the other, where he always wanted to, you know, honor the gap with another. You, you either have to honor the gap that is left, right? You talk about gapped out all the time. You know, that means having every gap accounted for. Or you have to get back with a gap and a half and cover it up that way. So you either have to be another man in the box, which is something Schwartz likes to do, or you need to have a D lineman steal like a gap and a half with technique or something, right? So it felt like the Browns wanted to be a quarters team, unwilling to get out of quarters to defend the run and show integrity uh, to, to fitting gaps. And this year with Schwartz, I think the biggest thing is they should be better at fitting run, fitting the run through the primary fits instead of dealing with secondary guys where safeties are trying to come down and be in the primary fit late. They should be better. Obviously, the the biggest thing here, and and it's a great question for Mike, is they're they're going to have better personnel, which will matter, right? They they were playing with some pretty terrible defensive tackles last year that were exposed on a regular basis. Yeah, you want them to be upfield players, but the, if, you're, if your goal is to just run upfield and run past everything, that's a problem. Your question asks, what are they going to get hit with? Well, a lot of interior stuff like traps, counter power stuff is what they'll have to deal with, and they have to get better, and I think the coaching will be better 
It's, it's Schwartz coaching up his coaches on how to handle some of those things, right? How to handle gap backs, those things like that. I, I really do expect him to be better at the core philosophy of how they're handling the run. And then, above all else, fitting the run with a consistent approach that is well communicated. This is this is him again, right? You know, he's he communicates well, and the structure will be more sound. There won't be any sort of tweener philosophies. That's what he does best. So this, you know, I just want to reiterate that Wish Schwartz's entire system is based on simplifying things for players, and you've heard the players talk about this, and communicating really well. They'll do a bunch of line games up front. They'll blitz from wide angles. And with those blitzing from wide angles, they'll do a much better job at boxing in quarterbacks. That's the hope here. Uh, that they can swarm from different angles and box people in uh, and, and, and use those wide angles, those wide approaches to put teams in third down situations. But it's not going to be perfect right away. It'll take time. They're learning a new philosophy here. But the structure of it shouldn't be all too different, but I think they're going to clean up a little parts of the nuances that the miscommunication stuff that hurt the Browns a lot. Next question for Mike. Given that Wyatt Teller appears to likely be a cap casualty next year, surprised the Browns didn't draft a guard for succession planning. They could draft one next year, but usually AB doesn't want to count on rookies outside of first-round players. I suppose signing a slightly cheaper free agent is also possible. That doesn't seem like the most cost-effective solution either. If the whole point of cutting trading tellers significantly reduced the money tied in the interior O-line, it's left me wondering if there might be a spot, what the plan might be for the spot in 24. I've heard you say on the pod before and entirely agree that there's some point the Browns need to take advantage of having Bill Callahan lean on him to coach up one or two on rookie deal serviceable O-line starters. That's a great question, Mike. I don't really think we have any clarity on what the plan would be. Perhaps they think Teller's going to still be around. I'm not sure. Whipler's a center only. Harris is a center only. Maybe they think Postage can move and play some guard. Maybe there's a plan that they, they're not going to stress it. They think they could draft one, or they think that they could sign one, to your point. Maybe on the cheaper side, just because it's a veteran sign doesn't mean it has to be expensive. But I really do think it is time that they lean into getting the Bill Callahan effect, which we've seen with Ethan Postage, right? We've seen this already. And I do think that this is an area where they should be cost-effective, more cost-effective next year. And uh, it, it feels to me like this is just a spot that they're going to Michael Dunn it, right? Figure out some answer on the market or in-house, Drew Forbes types, right, that they think can handle that position. We'll see what they do, but it definitely seems like a turnover spot next year given contract structures and whatnot. So great question. But to kind of close out, too, I mean, Mike makes a, a great point in his you know, his uh, question here in his email that, you know, switching postage to center uh, from center to guard is possible, right? Because if you go back and trace postage's time in the NFL, it wasn't necessarily quality play his first two years, but he played left guard and right guard equally in 2017 and then played uh, a lot of left guard in 2018 before in 2020, in 21, he went to more center full-time and then obviously was a center for Cleveland last year. So maybe there is some hope that he can slide over and play guard. He's got experience at either guard position, and you can take advantage of Whipler or Harris winning that job, right, with great value in fifth and sixth round picks. Certainly possible, right? Uh, I want to thank Mike. Those are great questions, uh, really great questions. Uh, he's up in Canada. Uh, he did a, did a great job being thorough in those questions. Next Q&A question is from Spencer Duffy. 
He's not big on social media, so emailing, he said. Sorry about that. Um, he said he read quite a lot, watched a lot of videos about Mayfield and his flaws as a quarterback. Great arm, great scheme if schemed open, but not so great if he had to coincide, decode a defense post-snap. Now we have Watson. What does Watson do that makes him special? He says, does he decode a defense post-snap really quickly? Or does he keep his eyes downfield for a long time post-snap looking for a pass? I think that's a good question. Right? What is Watson exceptional at? I think Watson has rare play extension ability. So he can make you, uh, you know, he can, uh, let me put it this way. He can process. He's a good processor. He's not elite, but he's good. He can figure out what defense you're in. He can really get a feel for what the safeties are doing. You've heard him talk about this stuff. I think he's really good at it. Now, I didn't think we saw the best of that last year with him because six games, time off, all that stuff plays into it. But, he certainly can process, and he processes a lot quicker than Mayfield. He has great long throw accuracy. Deep ball accuracy, to me, is really good for him. Intermediate stuff, I think he hits pretty well, too. And I think he's got great touch. I think he can really throw a different variety of football throws, right? He can zip it in. He can put a little bit of loft on it. He can uh, obviously put the football in special spots so that people can get to it, his guys specifically. And really, again, his most exceptional trait is his ability to extend plays, which the Browns... Uh, the Texans were used to it, thrived with it. The Browns have to get used to it, both up front and blocking and receivers running routes. He has to, the, the Browns have to adjust to get the most out of Watson. He says, and continuing here, Spencer says, uh, in the same vein, I know other good quarterbacks really thought of the what makes them great. So he wants to know, um, well thought of, but what do they do that makes them great? So what is it that Mahomes does better than everyone else? Mahomes is a super processor mixed with, rare arm slot changing dynamic arm ability accuracy and paired with an unbelievable offensive mind to bring it all together in Andy Reid. But Mahomes is, and he can extend. He's a better athlete than people think he is, and he's an extension extraordinaire himself. But he is uh, everything. He's the modern-day perfect everything. He can read uh, exceptionally fast. He can place the football in rare spots, and the arm angle stuff is one of a kind, right? Allen, Josh Allen, extension play, huge arm, can throw the football into windows that very few guys can throw into because of the zip he can put on the football. Um, He's getting better as a processor of schemes. He is an unbelievable, like Watson, an unbelievable guy, extending plays, making throws against the grain, body going one direction, able to throw it back and do you know rare things as a thrower of the football. And obviously he's a fantastic athlete, which helps with all of that, just like Watson. Burrow is a processor. Like If you're labeling him one thing, doesn't have an elite arm. It's good, not elite, but he processes really well. He also is a better extender of plays than people think. He can run a little bit. He can get off of people in the pocket. But Joe is a uh, guy who can process. He knows what to do at the right time. He knows where to go with the football pre to post snap. And he just plays a clean, efficient brand of football. He's the closest thing we've had to a modern-day Tom Brady in terms of just the way he plays, giving the right receivers the right opportunities, decoding the defense pre to post as well as anybody. And he can also get out and run. He's a better athlete than people give him credit for. Rodgers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is one of the quickest, most lightning releases in NFL history. And what made him special was uh, unrivaled accuracy, Super processing speeds could decipher defenses. Again, you hear this a lot, uh, the processing speed. And I think Watson 
can have that at times. It's not as good as you need it to be, and he, he tends to make up for it with his ability to extend plays and use the elite athleticism. But some of these guys who are not elite athletes are guys who process and read and decode very quickly. Herbert's not quite there as a processor, but the, the arm is special. He's a good athlete. He can escape. He can move. And the arm is special. He can make a ton of throws. He can change the arm angle. He can throw on the run really well. Last part of this, Spencer says, is there anything these guys do well that could be exploited? Or do less well that could be exploited? Like Brady had a minimal mobility, so if you could get to him, leave the pocket, he was vulnerable, right? Yeah, I mean, Burrow, you have to make him work. You have to put immense pressure on him right away. Like, think about how the Browns handled him when he came to Cleveland. They took away his first and second options, made him try to process, but also had him afraid of the pass rush. If you make him uncomfortable in the pocket, the pass rush collapsing around him, make him a check down guy, which he will, he'll gladly check down, but sometimes those check downs are, you know, covered well as uh, also. That's how you defeat him. You take away his options, immediate options, make him check it down, or make him feel pressure, make him feel uneasy. That's how you beat him. Josh Allen, you got to bottle him in. Don't let him extend plays right? Press coverage, get into his guy's faces, make him have to sit in there, read, make him beat you consistently throwing the football from the pocket, which he can do at times, but that's the thing. Mahomes, pressure, 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 pressure. Why do you think Kansas City has, though, spent so much money on the offensive line? They watch that Super Bowl. They watch the games they struggle. When he is pressured and is just overwhelmed, you know, they've taken away options. They're not getting easy throws, you got to get pressure. And that's why we, that's the pressure stuff is the biggest thing, guys. I mean, you, the Browns build a secondary that should be able to cover those initial first few moments, right? Um, they, they, they're building it. They're drafting corners. They've got three guys they feel great about McLeod, two other safeties, Thornhill, Delpit. They should be able to cover. That's why you should be excited about them building significant pass rushing pieces because that's the way. You beat these teams. You make the quarterback feel pressure in the first three seconds, and you take away his easy answers. And sometimes they're still going to beat you because they're really good. But you can at least give yourself a chance defensively to put them in uncomfortable spots and create some of those big stops or big turnovers. Early impressions of uh, Tillman. This is a question and ask the insiders from PMAR64. Cedric Tillman's big. He's bigger than I thought, and he moves fluidly. I think my impressions are strong. Moves well. Um, any other questions here? Playbook in Puerto Rico. The Pats got penalized for another infraction during offseason workouts with Elijah Moore alluding to Watson studying the playbook in Puerto Rico. Did that break some league rule? I don't think having a playbook for your upcoming season is breaking any kind of league rule. Unless they're working with coaches, which they're not, outside of designated times. Tribe fan 1975 says, regarding the third quarterback rule on game day and drafting of DTR, does it make sense that AB was aware of this change and was happening and it was one of the primary drivers to drafting him? Do the OBR staffers that were so irritated by this pick in the live draft show now feel the same? Um, I mentioned this uh, uh, earlier this week when the rule came out. I think that it played a part. I think they really liked him. They wanted him. Uh, but this played a big part in the why they can draft him and feel good about him having some kind of role, getting good experience, all that stuff. I do think that there's the, the plan uh, to have Dobbs around to not force the backup role on DTR. Maybe he earns it quicker than we think. But uh, nonetheless, I think DTR is a guy they liked. 
But this rule obviously helped. Maybe pushed it over the finish line a little bit, and they had an idea it was coming. Benefit of the fourth preseason game. I actually thought of this. I think there is an advantage to having it. I mean, the, the Hall of Fame game is a fourth preseason game effectively. I do think that's a great chance for the Browns to get some of their guys, their fringe guys, a chance to play in front of people and get game experience. I actually like it. Some people might not like it. I like it. They won't play anybody that matters in this uh, game, but I, I don't know. I like it. John Johnson not signing anywhere. Question here from DR, DR Grit, Dr. Grit maybe. Um, is John Johnson not being signed yet a reflection of the caliber of safety he is, or is there a rule that prohibits from signing until after June 1st? don't think John can uh, uh, sign initially with a team, but he can come to an agreement. He just can't sign officially with any team until after the cut is official, what the Browns will do on June 1st. That's when the cap space opens up for the accounting purposes and all of that. He can't officially make it possible, but he can talk teams and agree. I'm pretty sure he can do all of those things. Uh, I think it's an indication of the play John has put on the field and maybe some other stuff too. I, I'm a little uncertain why it's still floating out there, but maybe there's some June traction for him uh, once it becomes official or something of that nature. So that's all for today. We're going to wrap it up at that. That's some great questions. The emails were really fantastic. Uh, a shout out to you guys for doing that. If you would, I would love these to be a regular part of what you guys are doing and uh, asking good questions because some of these questions uh, are not uh, things that I naturally think of or come up with on podcasts. So I'm always open uh, in DMs and, and wherever to have a, a question to ask that, that, that pertains to any sort of thing the Browns are doing or what you're thinking about them. I don't think any topic is off limits with those because I think there's just uh, there's stuff that you guys think that I don't think of and it brings out good discussion. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Thanks to everybody who emailed and sent Twitter DMs. I will post uh, something next week on Twitter that you can reply to, and I'll answer questions that way. Um, and, and we'll continue to do this on the weekend pods. We'll be back tomorrow with things I think I know about the Cleveland Browns with Brad Ward. Until then, I hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Continue to shoot those questions over however you choose to do so. I think it ends up being really great. I have to apologize before we go. I, I got mocked a lot. No Indiana Jones movies. Going to try to watch those. guess I have to. And my take on the Barbie movie. Saw the preview. Kind of looks funny. It's Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie. They're pretty good, right? They're great actors. Uh, and then the the uh, talent leading it, the writing, directing, seems to be pretty strong too. So I'll give it a chance. I'm going to walk that opinion back. Can admit when we're wrong. The preview has changed my mind a little bit. We'll see if it's taken as seriously as some people think it will, uh, as far as maybe winning an award or two. But we'll see about that. Nonetheless, change my stance. Hopefully you who messaged me, quite a few of you, uh, understand uh, where I was coming from initially, and now my opinion has changed. We can admit when we're wrong. But I don't think it's going to be as good as some people think. So we'll leave it at that. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you guys stopping by. Have a great Saturday, okay? Go spend it outside. Looks like the weather's going to be great, especially if you're in Ohio. Can't really speak to the weather other parts of the country, but you get where I'm coming from. Take advantage of your weekend. Have a great time, guys. Thanks for stopping by. Go Browns.